Are you familiar with the Babylon Bee? Oh my God. Yes, I am. I, I can't believe we haven't talked about it on this, on this podcast specifically. Do you, do you know about writing for the Babylon Bee? No, I don't. You, I, I think the only rule is you have to like not get it and be shitty. But anyway, do you know something I don't? You, <laughs> you pay them to write for them. <laughs> oh, I, I believe it. You pay them $10 and they will post whatever garbage you send them. <laughs> Uh, it makes I, so much yeah. more sense now. Hello and welcome to Growing Up Christian. I'm Casey. And I'm Sam. And uh, Sam, I had a question for you. What can you um, tell me about spiritual warfare? Spiritual warfare? Not much. <laughs> it's a cool sounding word that's real vague. Yeah, super vague. Uh, it's often, you know, what's funny though uh, about it is uh, his name's come up obviously plenty of times, but uh, Mark Driscoll used to talk about suffering spiritual warfare because he would, he would like wake up, but not be awake and it would feel like there's something on his chest and, uh, what he was describing was sleep paralysis, but he is—he was convinced that it was uh, a demon. So, oh, yeah, are you I familiar feel like with sleep paralysis? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've never had it, but I—I I know I what the either. concept is. Okay, I don't want it. I would lose my mind. Yeah, it sounds terrifying. <laughs> like, in all honesty, it makes sense that people who uh, believe in those types of things would. Mi- would mistake would think of it as such like it sounds terrible uh you know what's funny is my brother had a um an experience when he was a kid where he you know obviously like we were young we were like could we had to be like he had to have been 11 or maybe 12 but um you know so you're so much in that world where i hope i don't think you'd care if i told the story i don't know uh i'll apologize if it's a problem but um but he, he was the kind of the first one in the family to like kind of leave the uh, faith. Uh, so I've always wondered what he thinks about this now, uh, but it's probably something along the lines of a sleep paralysis type thing. But anyway, he was, he was young and he would, every time he would fall asleep or he, it didn't feel like he was asleep, but he would, he felt like there was something out to get him and something like reaching for him or whatever. Um, if I'm remembering that correctly, but I remember being really scared about it a little as a kid being like, Oh my God, my brother's being tormented by demons. And they had, my parents had him talk to like the youth pastor or something like that at the church we were going to. And, Cause he knew about that for sure. Yeah, sure. I'm sure he, I mean, I'm sure he took a seminary class or two on what to do with demons trying to get you in your sleep. Bible guy, right? Yeah. You know how to make us some, sp- some special water or, you know, uh, uh, You've seen The Exorcist, maybe. That, that's the extent of his qualifications. I feel like that must be like, like whenever any shit goes down with kids um, and they're in the church, parents first thought is, oh, my God, we should tell the youth pastor. And I, my youth pastor was like pretty fresh out of college when I was like 22, 23, just graduated with his youth degree. Like. You have no real life experience. And the guy, my youth pastor was a pretty regular dude. Like I'm not, 
there's no chance he didn't know that the stuff that people were coming to him, he was woefully underqualified to deal with when it comes to teens. It's like, these are your kids, dude. I don't know. Like, oh, you didn't know much. All he knew is that all he knew for sure is that he didn't want to work for his dad's construction company. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But like, whether it was like, they might, my understanding, like hearing about things like third party, I don't know, whatever, a friend who knew him at the time would say that you know he was like parents would come to him with just everything whether it was drug related or uh their fears of the kids falling away from the faith and wondering if they can intervene or even if it's just like going too far with their girlfriends or being afraid they're going too far with their girlfriends and or boyfriends but they would then want the youth pastor like do you think maybe you could like bring that up with them it's just like so our youth pastor's job isn't to take away the responsibility of a parent not wanting to deal with shit like that. No, he's not a therapist with an agenda. <laughs> exactly. Well, okay, so I'm not surprised uh, to hear that from you. Um, people who are less wishy-washy and more dedicated to their faith are engaging in spiritual warfare all the time. Maybe you didn't know that, okay. but that is happening. I guess I forgot. I bet Carrying the weight for you, I guess. You know, you guys that are lukewarm. What kind uh, of spiritual warfare are you dealing with right now? Well, I'm I'm learning about it. I learned a lot this week. Um, when somebody didn't want to buy what you were selling, they didn't care about your auto parts, and then you were like, "This is spiritual warfare." Well, that's a lesser form, yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, have you heard of five G? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's one more G than four, I think. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, um, I was learning a little bit about spiritual weaponry this week. Oh, um, my God. Is 5G one of these? Is this where we're going? Well, yeah, a weapon of, of the enemy. The, so the I haven't gotten Lord. a 5G phone yet. Uh, so I might be holding off for a little bit until we, until we establish that it's safe. Details. Yeah, Same reason I gotta, you haven't I gotta, gotten so, the vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there's just, you know, a couple of people have said it's a bad idea. And uh, there was this doctor on YouTube uh, and he's a real doctor. So, I mean, this is a chiropractor, but yeah. (laughs) So um, I was listening to this podcast series. I posted about it in the discord called The Opportunist. And they did a season. It's like an eight part series on this lady named Sherry Schreiner. And if you've heard that name recently, it's because, uh, Vice has a documentary. I, I thought it was a one and done series, but I guess it's become it's a series now. Um, okay. It's called The Devil You Know. Do you see that pop up on like Hulu or whatever? The first yeah, season yeah. is about this Satanist dude in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina that, I don't know, he just pooped in his house and did a lot of drugs and murdered a couple of people. Doesn't sound so bad. Nah, nah, what's a couple? But uh, the second season is about this lady, Sherry Schreiner, who was like a she was kind of like an online slash talk radio cult leader. And she was into everything. I mean, uh, you know, the, the big ones like the New World Order and the reptilians and stuff like that. She's big on aliens, okay. talked about vampires and demons and just all manner of you know, she just really living like a Lovecraft style uh, existence. Yeah, that's an amalgamation of uh, different classic tales. Uh, it sounds. 
Yeah. Which has got to be fun in a way. I mean, mm. I guess that's the appeal of it, right? Is that you get to be a part of like, like you get to live in the Brothers Grimm, basically. And it's like Penny Dreadful. It's some real Penny Dreadful shit. Oh, I forgot. That was a great show. Jill and I only just started it. I think we got one or two episodes in, but then got derailed because of some other shit that came out, uh, like Ted Lasso. Uh, but we're just going to shout out the TV shows that are amazing that now. Why not just throw them out there real quick? Because everyone loves fucking Ted Lasso. That's the best. The most recent episode wasn't up to par with the rest. I don't know what was going on there. That was a little weird. Uh, the Morning Show just started back up, and that show is fucking great. I don't know about either of those. Steve Carell gets Me too uh, as a news anchor, and uh, the rest is oh. uh, the follow. It's really good. Um, I'll watch anyway. anything with Steve Carell. Yeah, but uh, Sherry Schreiner is... Uh, okay. She, so she didn't do advertising on her radio show the way that she made a living. And I don't know that it was a good living. I think she kind of squeaked by and that was fine. Like money wasn't necessarily the motivator. Yeah. Uh, she sold books, of course. But then she also sold this stuff called Orgone. Have you heard of this? No, I have never. No, I don't know. So Orgone is a Oregon. spiritual weapon. Yeah, I heard it. Oregon and Oregon. So I don't know what it is. It's stupid. No, that's, that's what it is. <laughs> it's it's like... make up. It's make believe. It's not real. So it doesn't matter how you pronounce a completely make believe thing. Yeah. And I probably should be careful because I'm not sure that this is just a super deep conspiracy theorist sort of thing. I feel like maybe there's like some hippie-ish spiritually people that make this kind of stuff too. But Basically, she would make these orgone pucks. They look like a hockey puck. And they were to, like, repress dark energy and, and keep you safe from, like, attacks from the New World Order and from the, the demons and the reptilians and aliens. Okay. Which, what kinds of attacks? Uh, do you know what their weaponry was? Well, uh, you know, like, if a bad thing happens to you during the day you kind of have to wonder if maybe it was an alien, you know? Okay. Like, and what about uh, at night? Like, what if you um, have nocturnal emissions? Is that a demon or alien? Oh, I'd argue. I think there's, I think there's a, a lot more mainstream people that would argue that was a demon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shout out James Dobson. But you know, like if you, uh, if you're at the gas <clears throat> pump and you press yes for receipt and you hear the electronic buzzing noise, but no receipt comes out. Yeah. That might be a vampire. <laughs> I never even <laughs> thought about that as spiritual warfare. I know. I've been, I, like, I, uh, I've been shocked at like how open I've been leaving myself to attacks. Yeah. Because that makes me think of the other day I got an iced coffee and I inserted my card into the little machine there. And it just kept saying processing. And it did it for like 25, 30 seconds. And me and the cashier just stood there uh, uncomfortably. And she's like, yeah, sometimes it goes a little slow. And we're like, mm-hmm. Sometimes demons do credit card skimming too. So they are so, identity thieves. That could have been. I didn't think about it. Uh, I'll be considering any sort of slight inconvenience or awkward interaction as potential potential spiritual warfare. Uh, yeah, I should at I least mean, have like, my guard up and get one of these pucks let's hear more about these pucks well okay so they're uh you can buy them there's a lot on etsy some of them are actually a lot cooler looking than the ones that she was making the ones she's making look like a sparkly hockey puck 
but there okay. were some real cool ones so on uh, third layer Etsy. glue on hockey pucks at all. Maybe so. <laughs> you know, sold them for forty five bucks. It's like a it's like a resin block, and it has a bunch of stuff in it. I I'm gonna read you a description from okay. somebody selling. Okay, so this is an Etsy listing. It says six pack authentic Sherry Shriner style orgone, powerful tactical positive orgone generating dimensional weapons. Um, inside a typical positive orgone device are crystals and metals with some of some form of resin holding it all together. The specialties of the Sherry Shriner line of orgone include a clockwise round copper coil with crystals inside it, aluminum and bondo fiberglass resin. Positive orgone devices work similarly to ORAC as developed and invented by scientist something something thirties pioneer in his time in the field of organomy, the study of the biofield, this orgone energy, the term which he coined. So it's got a coil, it's got some crystals in there, uh, Bondo, which okay. makes me Holds wonder, like, together. how did people protect themselves, like, in the 1800s when you couldn't go down to Pep Boys and buy Bondo? I mean, that's, you know, it sounds like we've upgraded from just a, a general crucifix around your neck to ward off the spirits. Um but that, I mean, that sounds like ancient technology. Uh, it might, that's like the old way of doing things. That's like, uh, you know, a muzzle loaded muskets, shit like that. It works, uh, but not as good as like a AK-47. So I think right. maybe these pucks are the AK-47s of, of Oregon's or whatever. Yeah. The golden gun. The rocket launcher. Remember, you yeah, gotta, ex- you, you, Halo, you got to run to the rocket launcher first before somebody gets it. But then that I was kid in your dorm that, that plays too much gets the sniper rifle and he can just swing it and shoot and everybody gets headshot. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what I felt about, like an You mentioned attack. the golden gun because there was also a rocket launcher in uh, 007 that would fuck people up pretty bad too. A grenade launcher. Yeah. Was it was. And uh, golden gun was dope. Like, yes. Oh. <laughs> I don't remember that class because everyone would pick. Uh, was it Odd Job? Is he the sh- was he the short guy? Oh yeah, he was a pain because yeah, he'd shoot over his head. Yeah, you couldn't shoot him. You had to always aim down. And on N sixty four, those yellow C buttons, it was like really hard to aim your gun down and shoot Odd Job. So Odd Job with a golden gun was like the most broken thing ever. <laughs> Dude, remember what was that? Like I don't know what that. Remember the noise that it would play when you got hit or shot or punched. It was like this noise that I never could place. Like, what is this supposed to be? It was like this, it was like this wheezing noise. And then the screen would go red for a second, you know? Right before you died, you'd get to that low health and it would like, yeah, yeah. I I don't know what that was supposed to be. It was like the ultimate sleepover game in like fifth and sixth grade. It was just the best nights ever. Get angry at your friends and throw your controllers across the room game. Uh, Oh, Smash Brothers was that for me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fighting games just in general always did that to me. I think the only time I ever got in a legitimate argument and angry like with my brother was like when I just got my ass kicked in Soul Calibur or some shit back in high school. <laughs> <laughs> my buddy Jesse from uh, Fellowship Friday 2, when Jesse and Jeremiah were on, yeah. I once punched Jesse over Smash Brothers. Not proud of it. But we've made it. <laughs> I think that's why I, I think I punched my brother over uh, that the multiple losses in Soul Calibur. And then I booked it <laughs> like a coward. I ran downstairs so fucking fast. My brother easily could have kicked the shit out of me. It was a, it's like it's one of those as soon as you do it, you're like, 
I didn't was not thinking this through. This was a mistake. <laughs> so chicken died big time. I don't think he would have actually hurt me back. My brother would have fed off of the the fear of me being afraid he was going to. So that's that would have been like that would have been what got him up in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, um, yeah, I've just been learning a lot about this, thinking about stockpiling some orgone. So uh, you're supposed to buy a bunch of these or make a bunch of these and then plant them like all around your house. You like dig up, okay, dig a hole and plant it in the hole. And then that protects you from aliens and, and vampires and, st- and stuff. It's like an electric fence for like a dog. It's exactly like th- that's a great analogy. Yes, it is that. Yeah. So um, okay. there are some like you know, warriors out there, like this lady, she had some followers and they would like go on these orgo missions where they would like load the back of their car with pucks and then they would go and just throw them out all over the city. And at one point, like she claimed to have crashed an alien ship over the Super Bowl in St. in uh, New Orleans. Okay. And I guess the power blinked off for a few seconds, like mid game. And she was like, there you go. <laughs> Any, that's incredible. You needed proof? That's proof right there. Yeah. She she at one point in the uh, podcast when they were playing clips of her, she talked about like securing the gates of Ohio. So she went to like the state line on every highway and planted a bunch of Oregon there. So I, I don't know how you get to this point because it sounds to me like she legitimately might have believed these things. Uh, it doesn't seem like just your run-of-the-mill charlatan or uh, grifter, you know? I think most cult leaders are true believers in their own yeah. nonsense. They just they also don't mind ruining your life if you if you get in their way. No, they don't. There's a narcissism that probably comes with that. What? How do you do that, though? How do you convince yourself uh, that you crashed an alien ship over the super? Like, make slightly less grandiose claims, maybe? Um, that seems, you know... There's a, a lot of people videotaping the Super Bowl. So, well, you know, you know, a wise man named Derek Webb once said, "You don't need every follower. You need a core group of dedicated followers. You need the right followers." That's right? true. Sherry wasn't going for mass appeal. She wasn't trying to open a mega church or anything. You're right. You know, she wanted like uh, the the best and the brightest. You know, the cream. The cream's going to rise and then Sherry's yeah. going to I mean, because once you have a bunch of people believing that you crashed a spaceship over the Super Bowl, you can literally tell them anything and know that they will believe you. So that's a helpful way to start. Uh, it sets a baseline pretty strong uh, and you know where you're going from there. You, you know exactly how people are going to respond to the weird shit you say. Yeah. So it was interesting. Highly recommend the series. Uh Again, it's called The Opportunist. I think it's season two. It's about Sherry Schreiner. But uh, it's just one of those series where, like, I I felt like I was probably getting annoying because I just kept looking at April and being like, this is so dumb. Like, I can't believe people (laughs) believe this. Is she still with us? No, she is dead, or so Mm. they say. Shortly Some after uh, that she had been brought up in a spaceship somewhere, did she lose the fight? But the I aliens don't know because she didn't claim to just be a soldier. Eventually, she claimed to be um, the sister of Jesus, 
like God's actual daughter. She had like some real fun made up names for herself and she didn't call God God. She called him Yah. Is that short for Yahweh? Uh, maybe. It's just like a nick they're on that nickname basis. Yeah, I think I think okay. that's pretty much what it was. But up, yeah. she uh yeah, she had some real wild the big uh, age gap between things. her and Jesus though. That's interesting. It took yeah. God a while to have another kid. Yeah, he definitely took his time on it. I think she claimed to be alive in uh in the uh outer realms or whatever before she was born into the you know, the body of a person. Yeah, she must be weird for God. I mean, he was an empty nester for a couple thousand years and now he's gonna do the, he had to do that shit all over again. That's weird. Yeah, but, but I mean, given the fact that given how things went with the last kid, I feel like he could take him or leave him. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly prepared for the worst, so. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, wild stuff. So, if yeah, if you want your very own uh, set of Orgone, I almost said pucks, um, spiritual weaponry, interdimensional weaponry, you can go on Epsi, um, and there's a six pack on here for 60 bucks. And actually it gives you the option to, to do it in four easy payments of, of $15. (laughs) There's options for everybody. There's just no excuse not to have, you know, protect your family. Yeah. Oh, four easy payments of $15. I, I mean, you don't really have much of a choice at that point. You just have to do it. So, yeah. And if you don't, I mean, just, you know, put your head back in the sand, sheeple, and and go back to sleep. Don't worry. The 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 true the true warriors are going to are going to blast the the demons out with with their pucks. These really like I'm looking at the picture here and they're don't they don't even look like they're the same size. Like this person really did a bad job of making these. He just he just like put Different a bunch of resin levels, into maybe? a Oh, that could be like maybe this is the subcompact version. Like this is the one's concealed good for carry. twenty meters. The other one's good for thirty. You know? <laughs> yeah, like one might be perfect if you're just going camping and you need like a ten meter radius. Um, but some are better for your house. Uh, I don't know. I, I didn't read about. I'm just speculating here. Yeah, yeah. No, I think concealed carry version probably be best for me. <laughs> so. Yeah, so that's that's interesting. Check out that podcast if you get a chance. It's it's a lot of fun. So our guest this week is a guy that uh, we had a lot of fun talking to. Uh, Dan Kozu is best known as the as a writer for the Hard Times. And if you're not familiar with the Hard Times, think the Onion, but with a foot in the like punk metal music scene culture. Um, they do articles and stuff about all sorts of different topics, but it kind of comes from that perspective and, and sort of the, the circles that, you know, Sam and I ran in when we were younger. Hilarious. Everybody loves the hard times. I'm sure probably a lot of you are already following them. But Dan's written for them for a number, number of years. He's also the host of a podcast called The Extra Mundane with Max Ward. And it's a really interesting concept. It's, you know, a guy interviewing like uh classic monsters and so like you know posing as bigfoot and different things like that so it's supposed to be a ton of fun and he gets some improv comics on there he's also written a couple of different books um just an interesting guy that's done a lot of different things and 
grew up in uh, evangelicalism and just, you know, a lot of the same types of, of uh, themes and experiences and stuff like that, that, that a lot of us have gone through. So I think you'll, uh, you'll really enjoy Dan's, Dan's story and, and hearing about some of the things that he's done over the course of his long and very, you know, uh, varied career. And yeah, we just had a blast talking to him. So with that being said, enjoy our conversation with Dan Kozu. Hey, everybody. We're back with our guest, Dan Kozu. Dan, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Dan, I like talking to people uh, like you because I don't know anything about you. And I feel like that makes it a little bit more fun when you don't know people's backstory. <laughs> Other than there's like that evangelical uh, connection. And right. you have really no idea which direction things can go in. Like I, you could have, I don't know, been part of a snake handling church or you could have just been your run of the mill evangelical. But <laughs> even at that point, you still end up with generally weird stories and stuff right, that you don't right. like to tell the the common people. So <laughs> run, of the, like- run of the mill. But the weird thing is I actually wrote, I went to film school and the first screenplay I had to write for my screenwriting class, I actually wrote about a snake handling church. That was the, that was what the movie was about. Nice. So yeah, apparently my interests do lie there. Apparently, uh, somewhere. <laughs> Is it kind of like a red state, uh, sort of, sort of thing? It that was not uh, snake handling, I guess, was it? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, it was a little bit more, uh, thoughtful, not thoughtful than that. I shouldn't say it was, uh, I tried to show empathy towards this community in a way, uh, except for sort of a few of the character villains, but, uh, never got produced for some weird reason. Nobody <laughs> wanted to give me money for that one. My my introduction to snake handling on screen was, uh, I think it was There Will Be Blood. I believe that had some snake handling scenes. I think it That's did, yeah. Weird. What a great movie. Yeah. Who was the kid that was like the <laughs> preacher in that? That was my introduction to him as an actor. Uh, that Dano? Was that Paul Dano? Yeah, Paul Dano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, that was my first time seeing him. And he was like that charismatic uh, snake handling preacher. Anyway, Art, your milkshake. <laughs> but so, Dan, where did you grow up? What kind of uh, what was your uh, setting like? Yeah, sure. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, the west suburbs of Chicago. So uh, I grew up in what I was so close to being just a boring Catholic and my parents got divorced when I was like six. And so my dad got excommunicated. And and then after being leaving the Catholic Church, that's when he was, quote unquote, saved by the evangelicals. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, so my two older brothers pretty much escaped the evangelical situation. They were just not like just born Catholics. And now they don't they're nothing, whatever. But uh, but yeah, I got the, I got the full brunt of it, uh, which my dad admits I absolutely did. So. Um, Wait, so he, your so your parents split up, and he went from being Catholic to to evangelical. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. How much it, older were your siblings where they got to dodge it? My oldest brother was, uh, so I was six at the time, so he would have been sixteen. So he was almost out of the house. So oh wow, that was, yeah. And then my middle brother's five years older than me, so he would have been like eleven. Uh, so he, yeah, he. I mean, he he went to youth group and stuff like that, but uh, it wasn't. The full indoctrination, I think. He, he was kind of allowed to do his own thing. I don't know why I, I, I got it, but I did. He missed the flannel graph hell sermons from Sunday school. Yeah. Um, well, you know what it was? Thinking about it now, we started, have you, I don't know if you know how much you know about 
Christianity in Chicago area, but there's a church called Willow Creek. It's it's it was sort of one of the first like really mega churches, and uh, and I think it's collapsed recently because of all the scandals uh, that have happened there. Who was the pastor there? I I can't remember the name. Um, I'm googling it while you uh, while you yeah, carry. I, if you Google Willow Creek and scandal, and I think you'll find his name. I want to say Heibel. It wasn't Heibel, was it? Was he? Willow no, Heibel was in Chicago. Okay, maybe it was Heibel. Now that I'm thinking, I because uh, yeah, I, I I'm getting them kind of confused because I didn't go to Willow Creek for too long. My my middle brother did, and I think that's how he and so he, it, which is it's so big. It's not even, you don't even feel like you're at a church. It's like, it's, it's a weird kind of uh, like gymnasium that you go to. And then, and you always split off into, into other groups, especially if you're kids. And then you're just shuffled all around and you're given numbers to find each other again. It's, it's, it was huge. It's massive. Yeah. It was founded it's, by Bill Hybels. Uh, oh, it was Hybels. Okay. I apologize. I apologize. Yeah, no, you're good. But he had his fall from grace. Uh, I think it was related to the sexual nature, I believe. Huh. Okay. Was uh, has your dad ever talked much about getting the boot from the Catholic Church? Like, what was that process like? Was it was it awful, or no. was it just kind of like a hey? No, uh, you kind of broke the rules. I taught you. I talked to my dad a lot. Like, we're pretty open about things, even though we're kind of on opposite ends of of the spectrum everywhere, religion and politics and everything. But we're pretty open about it. But I never, because like I was going to to CCD which is what you do before you're confirmed. And then I just stopped going. And like, no, like my family did a really shitty job in keeping me in the dark. Cause they're like, Oh, he's, he's too young to understand what the hell is going on. And so I put all this shit together in my twenties where I'm like, Oh wait, I just stopped going to Catholic church and started going to Willow Creek. And I didn't understand what denominations were. So what, like, it didn't matter. And so it was uh, all just boring. <laughs> yeah. I, to the best to the best of my knowledge, my dad was like quote unquote saved by a friend of his. So I I think he sort of after the divorce also was like looking around. So I think he had like I don't know if they like kicked him out. Like the Catholic Church we went to was huge as well. So I don't think they would ever be like you're not supposed to be in here. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I, no yeah, I think forcibly pushing you out. But there, right. there's it, there is something about divorce with it. I mean, even in an evangelical church, whatever it is, getting divorced is like. Once that yeah. paper is signed and you walk in the next week by yourself, it's not a comfortable situation, I can imagine. Yeah, and and I think I, I'm sure they had friends in the church, and I don't think my wife, my wife, oh dear God, my mom, oh Jesus Ooh, Christ, a Freudian slip. <laughs> oh, um, I don't, I don't think my mom really went to Catholic church with us all the time. Like, <clears throat> excuse me, and I know, um, I was in a really weird situation where. My parents got divorced, but my mom only moved like a mile away. So, and they, and like still kind of, they didn't hang out, but they, uh, they were friendly with each other. I never saw my parents fight in front of one another. And, and like, I, my mom was only supposed to see me every other weekend, but I was there like every night because my dad was a doctor and he worked constantly. So it was just like, it, it was just like, be where you want to be and, and ride your bike to your mom's house if you want. Like, it really wasn't a, there's was no, they didn't use me to fight with one another, which was yeah, like that's really, like one uh, of the healthiest situations you can be in. With yeah, it really. Yeah. I no. uh, yeah, and um, I'm trying to think how much I want to give away, <laughs> but anyway, I don't remember my mom going to church with us, and after the divorce, she definitely didn't go to church. So she, uh, yeah, she didn't have, and, and she passed away when I was uh, 15. So, uh, but the the brief time I knew her, she 
did not she wasn't religious okay i wonder how easy the sales pitch gets to be when you've got that much change going on in your life because i like i like to think of like somebody evangelizing as like a car salesman and they're like mr kozu what do i gotta do to put you into a new <laughs> denomination today let's make this deal he actually did tell me this and my dad said he wanted to go somewhere where he, no people would leave him alone because he would go to these smaller non-denominational christian churches and you would just like swarmed by like 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 people who were welcoming you to the church and just where are you from? What are you doing? Sign all these booklets. And he's like, I just like, I'm going through divorce. I just want to be left alone. And, and so that's why he actually chose Willow Creek because it was so anonymous and he could just go and, and pray and whatever, and then leave and nobody bothered him. And yeah, uh, that makes sense. Cause it was big. I mean, it's, it must've been big then too. I mean, I know that's been a yeah. church for a while. You can kind of like fly under the radar if you want to. And then I think a, a friend of my brother's, I want to say I can't quite remember, but they're uh, invited him to her youth group at a church. And like we weren't near Willow Creek. It was like a 45 minute drive to get to Willow Creek. She invited him to her church, which was really close to our house, like 15 minute drive. And then that became our church. And I was in like junior high, end of junior high by that point. Um, okay. and that's when sort of the full on <laughs> indoctrination of 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 Christian youth uh, uh, hit me full force so ah so when did you uh quote unquote get saved and what was the situation all right will my dad listen to this probably not i've never been saved <laughs> okay i can't tell you how many altar calls i've been to and i just <laughs> okay the, okay i i was actually thinking about this when i when when we scheduled this like i had to kind of dig through my memory because i have a terrible memory but i was thinking about i once saw a hypnotist uh like live and he brought like five people on stage and he hypnotized him, but one guy it just didn't take. And the guy was just like sitting there looking around and he didn't know if he should get off the stage or he was kind of laughing when the other people were doing stupid things. That's how I felt at these like youth revivals. Like people are crying and like and like tearing at their skin. And like I remember like burning CD collections and like doing altar calls. And I'm like, how am I not feeling the same? Like what is going on that I'm not feeling the same as anybody else in this room right now? Like thousands of kids in, in, in like auditoriums. And I'm like, I just like, I'm here for the Christian punk. Like I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> Wait, like I, so I don't feel that... uh, overwhelmed with joy, but I do feel very guilty that I don't feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes, absolutely. And, and they'll make you feel even more guilty that you didn't feel that way. And uh... so the youth group there must've, like, you said that, I mean, they, I'm sure they had youth events and stuff, but the youth group that you were part of must've had a ton of kids in it. It was, yeah, it was decent size for a youth group. I'd say about 50 kids, 50, like once I hit high school. So I did like Awana. Did you guys ever hear of Awana? Okay. So Awana is like, it's like pre high school where you just like memorize Bible verses and, and it's, what is it? it's boy scouts for Christians. Uh, and then you yeah. move on to high school and it's, and it's, it's a regular shittier. high school youth group with a band and all this other. And like, uh, it, well, yeah, there was about 50 kids, but it was, I, okay. So I'm so conflicted because I, I'm actually still friends with a lot of them. Um, most of them have, have, have left the church as well, but it was, I didn't, I did not have a lot of friends at school. I was, I was painstakingly shy in school and being in a smaller environment where the kids are kind of forced to be nice to you. I was allowed to kind of come out of my shell a little bit. And I, like, and so, and there was a weird kind of like, there was like the, the real Christian kids, but then there was kind of the liberal Christian kids who who 
kind of read the Bible the right way and was like, this is, this is what Jesus is teaching you. And, and like, and, and so like some of them were really strong feminists and some of them were just, and, and like, and especially when you get into a lot of Christian punk was really left. And I think that's yeah. why it, it was so popular in the nineties was because these kids were being forced to go to youth group and they're like, Oh, these are my politics though over here. Even though nine tenths of all Christian punk bands weren't Christians, they were just shitty bands that couldn't make it in the, in the, uh, secular world so what were your uh what were your go-to christian punk bands of the time <laughs> goatee hook go i was a it. huge goatee hook fan uh and five iron which i heard you guys talk iron. about in previous episodes but uh i actually one of the guys who who went who was like the youth group not the youth pastor but the youth group uh monitor or whatever like he wore he knew the guys who when christian punk bands came to town would set up the shows so okay, we got yeah. to go and like and like bring five iron friends to their waters and and uh i did I did a spotlight for Newsboys, which isn't a bunk band, obviously, but uh, which was probably a break of union rules as well. But it was really weird that I <laughs> that I did that. Uh, so, yeah, it was it, it was a, I, it was hard because I was going through a really hard time. And so I actually not for the religious reasons, but I the youth group really did kind of save me in a different way. Because uh, oh, yeah. my mom, my, my, my I don't want to talk bad about the deceased, but my mom had some issues. Uh, and. Uh, and, and with my dad working so much, I just was kind of lost and I could have easily drifted any direction and, and addiction runs in my family. I don't know like what could have happened. Sure. And so while the youth group didn't fulfill me, maybe spiritually, it really did kind of help me morally kind of g- tread those teenage waters when you, when you hit puberty. That makes sense. Cause you said you, your mom passed when you were 15. Yeah, yeah. So that's like not. I mean, you're that's like right at the beginning of high school. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. It kind of. We were yeah. actually about to go on a missions trip to to Mexico to build a house. Is when is when it happened, and I still went to Mexico. My dad was like, "I think you really should just get a, like get." A, luckily, she she passed away after like during summer break, so I didn't have to have that weird like go to school and all the kids know your mom just died. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I got the summer to kind of deal with it. And, uh, and the kids there and the youth pastor was, were really supportive and, and really kind of wonderful. And then we had, okay, so we had a youth pastor, sorry if I'm rambling, but I'm just kind no, of digging cool. all this up. But when I, we had a youth pastor there who I, I'm still friends with and like, and like, it's just one of the most amazing, like heart, heartwarming, heartfelt people I've ever met. And he was, he was a youth pastor there. And, and like, he was the reason that the, the group was like exploding and then okay all right i'm trying to think how to put this okay something happened within the church in which the police should have been brought in not with him he he was i'm trying to 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 say because i don't want he had nothing to do with it yeah but he and his wife felt the police should have been brought in on this the church decided to handle it within he left classic church move exactly and it it Devast like it tore the youth group like apart. Like I stopped leaving. Like I was also like I did a lot of theater in high school, so I was kind of pulling away anyway because I was so busy with theater and speech sure. and things like that. And so, uh, but him leaving was just like like I mean, he would give me tapes of like comedians, like not Christian comedians, just like like oh you got to check out this guy Stephen Wright. He does really deadpan humor. You'll love it. Like he was just a great guy, but he was a Christian. Like and. I don't know. It was it was the right kind of Christian for me. And then they brought mm-hmm. in this bro from California who <laughs> like bleach blonde hair, talk like this man, like the 
the the youth pastor that you would write a movie like a really badly written movie that has a youth pastor in it that's who he was oh my god that the, meta youth yeah. pastor and who okay how can i tell this um <laughs> later on after he was fired because he needed to be fired and this was after i had gone to college and he had to call many people in the church during his 12 step program to make amends let's just i'll, I'll just put it that way that's what he had to Okey do dokey. <laughs> okay um <laughs> so what he while he was at the church that the bad things nothing of a sexual nature i should say he was he, he was um uh very devoted to his wife and kids but he had other issues uh but he tore the church apart like people just hated him and he was he was a bad pat like he was bad but the weird part is he brought in black community members in the white like i mean i was in i didn't know black people lived in my community like that's how white of a suburb i lived in and that part i loved and uh and my dad would actually fought for it because he would bring in like like he would we had like a coffee house i know a lot of churches have but we had like we would have like a coffee house on friday nights and he would bring in these kids to play basketball in the gym and the gym would be just filled with like 50 black kids and the church was just losing their mind over it and of all the things i hated him for that was like amazing that he like that that's what his outreach was and and my dad actually was was helped keep him there like helped be like no we need black people at this church and yeah like yeah. i said my, dad, my dad's a very complicated person but he he is he would take me to the south side of chicago just to see black people so i would not be uncomfortable around them like we would go eat like at, at places where there were no other white people because he didn't want me to be uncomfortable being the only white person and like there's so my dad is very progressive unfortunately pretty anti-lgbt which i'm working on to the best of my ability but well um, who isn't there is that it's it's funny seeing that complication and nuance within people right i've been talking this whole time i actually don't know what kind of christian podcast i'm on right now so i probably should have vetted this beforehand uh it's not i guess you couldn't call it a christian podcast uh (laughs) it's a podcast about christianity in some ways but it is it's funny with like when you look at there is a tendency um, it, and I get it in a public sphere, right? There's a, on a, if you have a public stage and you're saying some bullshit that you shouldn't be saying, uh, that's, I guess, lacks progressive values, right? Like the, anyone who's really has a microphone is anti LGBTQ at this point. It's like, just take the fucking microphone away from them. And that that's a good, right. Move. But there is a tendency for people to want to write off anybody who, who misses the mark on, one of many issues. Right. But I think right. whenever I hear about people like, like your dad making those conscious choices to do something that was probably uncomfortable uh, and put him in an element that wasn't normal for him either for the, because he knew the importance of, of, of that. Like, so it's, it, mm-hmm. I think society likes to write people off carte blanche for being wrong about one thing, but there is something to be said for where people get it right. And I think uh, you just mentioned that story is a, a reminder mm-hmm. of that. I think that's cool. And I think that goes for institutions too. Cause I mean, you know, we spend a lot of our time skewering that youth group culture, you know, that you're talking about and stuff, but like it, it was by no means all bad. And it certainly wasn't right. like traumatic or, or, damaging for for me and i don't think for you sam i mean you know there's a lot of really good things about the you know the groups that we were in and the people that led right. them and stuff like that it's just you know you're 
as an, I don't know, it's, it's exactly We're, what you're we saying. Are, it's, it's more complicated than that. You can't just totally right. write off yeah. an entire institution or an entire group of people or one single person because they don't, because one part of them is ugly, you know? Right. And I, I, the one thing my dad taught me, and I, it, this, my, my religious experience is very much tied in with him. So I, I'm sorry that it keeps coming back to that, but it is, it, I mean, it, it's completely tied yeah. in with him because, he, but he said, and this is the sort of thing is you don't typically hear. And is that he said the, the, the church is fallible. The, the religion is not. And so, and, and for him, like for, to be in a, and he almost taught me to leave the church. Like I kind of blame him for it because he said, think for yourself, don't believe everything a pastor is telling you. He's just interpreting the Bible just as much as you should be by reading it. The church wants you to think that everything they say is correct, but that's absolutely not true. Mm-hmm. And so that is is one thing that he taught me that I, I probably one of the reasons I over like I realized like this is not working for me. That's so funny. I the irony like of that. Like I feel like one. So I have three siblings, and um, so I'm still I still have one foot in the door, right? Like I go to a I'm part of a a church, um, and it's it obviously looks different for me now than it did as like an evangelical high school, college student, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, it, but all my, so, and we were all homeschooled, right. All youth group, all church. So when you have, mm-hmm. and, and, and three of them are just kind of like, no, this is not for us. Anymore. Oh, okay. And, um, but it, it's funny because one of the things that we did get, the message we got a lot as kids was learning how to think critically. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then, well, at the time, you know, you think that is uh, like I'd read books about why evolution wasn't true and stuff like that. So like to me, I'm mm-hmm. thinking critically because I'm challenging that system and that frame of like my but like as you get older, it's like and you as you keep that mindset of of thinking critically uh, and as you mature and expand your mind, you're like maybe thinking critically isn't just reading like it, because you're thinking critically, you're like, maybe I shouldn't just keep reading things and only paying attention to things that are reinforcing the worldview that I came from. And then you get, you start trying to give other things a fair shake. And before you know it, that, that lesson of teaching them to think critically, uh, which the motivation behind that, uh, honestly, for my family was to keep us involved in the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what ultimately like you took, it's why they're they're barely one for four on Christian kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm barely there. I compared to my other well, my middle brother's kind of a vagabond. I don't I don't quite know where his religion lies. We don't talk too much. Uh my oldest brother is a complete atheist. I I have anxiety issues and I actually do find going to church very comforting when I have anxiety attacks. Uh yeah, and I actually go I, I actually go to Methodist church and I always <laughs> I always make sure that they have like a rainbow flag on their website. Like I won't go to, I won't go to evangelical that stresses me out, but the the rhythm, the rhythm and the pacing and, and the, the like formula of like a Methodist service is very calming for me. Um, Yeah. I can totally see that. So I I don't know if I'm, if I'm there for religious purposes or I'm like using them for their, uh, their time. But uh, so yeah, I do. I do still actually go to church occasionally when I, when I feel I need it. Um, they don't care as long as you put some money in the basket when it's by. So right. Don't worry right. about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Honestly, they don't care if they have people in the seats now. Like I went, we went to, my wife and I went to one 
that was like literally it's directly across the street from our house and it's it i love church architecture as well like it's it's very strange but anyway uh it was a it's this beautiful church it's not like a, a like a cathedral it's like a weird kind of uh i don't know i think it used to be presbyterian but uh anyway it's a beautiful church uh, we went there and we were like, I mean, we were the youngest people. I, I mean, we're almost 40 and we were the youngest people there by like a decade. And we're like, and then they came up to us and these old women like, like gripped onto my wife's wrists and w- and was just like, like grilling her. Like you can sense when a church is dying and I can't, that I don't like. And they literally, it's a, it's a Korean church now. Like, like within, within about a year of that event, uh, uh, they had moved out and a Korean church had moved in. So, Yeah. Dude, I will say for Methodists, like one, they have the coolest logo. They got the cross with like that red sash off of it. (laughs) And they always have the cool buildings. Like if you see like a weird looking church, like there's one in the town, you know, not far from here. That's like these three like sloping steeples. And it's just a strange building, but it's really cool looking. Methodist church. Every time it's always a cool, like it's a cool building. It's Methodist yeah. for some reason. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's a lot of neat churches. It, so being from Massachusetts, uh, I, I lived in Boston for a year and I used to just go walk around the city a lot on my own. And um, there's so many cool old churches in Boston and the architecture is incredible. Oh, uh, and just like, I mean, you look at these massive stones that make up the entire, I have, it's like the idea that people were, putting these things together before they had cranes and stuff, man, the, the, the intricacy that goes into every aspect of it. I ironically, like you look at the money and the time and the, everything that was dumped into that seems pretty antithetical to the teachings of Jesus, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I st- it's still pretty nice to look at. And yeah. so I'm, have you, uh, either of you ever been to Savannah, Georgia? No, I heard so many Not amazing things about that place. Yeah, it's, it's, I would say it's like new Orleans, but with a surly Irish twist. Like it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's very drunk, but kind of a mean drunk, but they have a lot of, they, it's a very Catholic city. And so they have a lot of really neat, uh, uh, church architecture there. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's one place that I've heard so many times from so many people. It's like, I, I knew a couple who moved there, uh, a number of years back and they it just from them, especially I heard so many nice things. About- Speaking of the, uh, New Orleans, where do you guys sit on New Orleans? Yay or nay? I've never been, Neither but I. I'm, st- I'm still yay because it just see like I, I, but I need to go there and actually experience it. Dude, I love New Orleans. New Orleans is great. And when people like critique it, they're always like, oh, it's dirty. And it's like, yeah, but it's like a quaint sort of dirty. Like it's a clean, a clean city creeps me out. Like, like as the cities get cleaner and gentrified, it's a lot creepier than uh, a dirty city makes sense. Yeah, get out of here. Go back to Sweden with your clean streets and whatnot. <laughs> I will step over dirty. puddles of barf and, and trip over rats. <laughs> Dan, you went to um you went to film you said you went to film school. So at, yeah. like after so you it sounds like you started kind of like doing theater, pulling out like of the youth group a little bit, not really having like well, the connection that you had the, with it before. What the weird thing is, I didn't mean to interrupt you, I'm sorry. No good, uh, good. Was that in our high school, the theater department was dominated by Christian teens. It was a really weird moment. Interesting. Where like, and like, I didn't get a lot of good parts. Like, I wasn't a good actor. I got like the lower stuff, and and but I enjoyed doing it. So I, but like the leads were all these Christian guys, and so 
they and they so they bring their like acoustic guitars to practice and play and play hymns and like <laughs> also uh veggie tales was huge at that time and it's a it's a uh, chicago area production company so veggie tales like if you remember how big it was it was like three times as big if you lived in the chicagoland area because they were going to be the next disney and we were going to get the, anyway so yeah they would wear like their their Tom the Tomato is that his name? I don't Bob know. They were the there. Tomato. Yeah. Oh Jesus. And Larry Bob the, the Tomato. Uh, Larry the Cucumber. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, and they and and it was the weirdest thing that like it was like a predominantly Christian theater department in a public school. Um, That's funny. Maybe not predominantly, but but yeah. So it was yeah, it was weird. So I, I wasn't like ostracized for being a Christian there. I was probably ostracized more for being less of a Christian than everybody else there. So yeah, it was a weird. Uh, and it's funny. They what, didn't. Uh, how old are you? Me, I turned forty in a couple of weeks. Okay. Okay. We're, we're at like thirty-three. I, okay. Okay. So. So like, well, I'm thirty-three. He's a little. Older. <laughs> Either way. Uh, so Veggie Tales was like, you know, being was like a big deal. We, we were. I was yeah. in high school, so it's funny that you're talking about all these kids in high school wearing their Veggie Tales shit. Yeah, it was like. I mean, it really. Like, we're a little old for Veggie Tales. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like like SpongeBob. It was like a SpongeBob thing where like high school okay. kids liked SpongeBob for the other kind of humor that it had. Uh, but again, it, yeah. So, uh, but they like Layer the Cucumber singing about his missing hairbrush. So, exactly. Oh, they would do it acoustically during practice. Yeah, yeah. It was. But like we smoked, and so like me and my friends who smoked were like they were they were like oh my god those are the smokers like we were. It was a really weird experience. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, then I went to film school. I went to uh, first to Southern Illinois University, and uh, that's when my anxiety issues really started to kind of because I went, I left. It took me a really long time, and like right towards the end of high school, I had like two really great friends that I trusted with my life, and I was and I and a kind of a circle of friends that I really loved. Uh, my future wife being one of them, like, and and then I left and went to Southern, where I knew one guy's girlfriend, and like with how like kind of antisocial I was, it was just miserable. And oh, yeah. I started dating a girl that we were just not meant for each other, but trying to make it work for some stupid reason. And like, and so my anxiety was off the charts. And so I started like going to a Lutheran church there. Uh, and that, yeah. And that just, yeah. And then I ended up dropping out and uh, I moved to Chicago to Columbia college, Chicago. And that's kind of where my religious endeavors ended uh, yeah. around that time. What Did was anyone the, ever uh... Oh, sorry, Sam. Oh, well, did anyone ever try to uh, talk you out of film school because it's a dangerous liberal world? No, you know, again, my dad was really supportive. Like, because I was trying to decide between going to a Christian college or uh, going to 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 regular college uh, for film school. I mean, but I didn't know what I wanted to do at a Christian college. I, everybody in my youth group was going to Christian college. They were all going to be youth pastors. I didn't want to be a youth pastor. You got moody <laughs> right there. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and my dad, my, the thing is my dad, it works his like, like crazy and he's a doctor, but he never pushed us to be doctors. He always pushed us to be as passionate as he is about medicine to whatever we were passionate about. And he knew I was passionate about acting writing the like movie making it i mean it was just so it was i was obsessed with it and so mm -hmm. it was really no question like when i said should i go to chris he's like no you're gonna go to like you should go to southern they have a good film school like he, he nobody i mean the yeah i don't know the main pastors probably did and and like 
I still remember like the main pastor of this church was trying to like couple everybody up in the youth group. I, I'm sure you guys probably experienced that too, where he's like, like everybody, sh- everybody in this youth group should be married by the time they're done with college. And it's like, oh man, but, uh, but I actually did, I did, I've totally forgot. I did skits a lot, almost every Sunday for the services, not every, yeah, pretty much every Sunday. So before the, the pastor would come on to give his sermon, there would be, a, he, he liked to have skits beforehand that would kind of give an <laughs> allegory of, of what was happening. And I did a lot of them, like, like three or four years worth of them. Like every Sunday I would go and do a, a little skit on stage. Wow. Did you guys write them during the week? Like based on we what knew. the sermon topic was? <laughs> No, he, they actually sold books. They sold like script, like script books. Okay. And you could like, look it up by topic. Like, do you want to, do you want to talk about like the garden Gethsemane or whatever here? We got something for you. Or, uh, so yeah, they, he would, he would give <laughs> me the books and let me kind of, I think I got to pick a couple out. I don't remember, but the big one was I got to direct like the Easter play. Uh, and that was towards the end when I knew I wanted to, to, to be more behind the scenes than in front of the scenes. But, and that was your directorial debut, huh? No, I did a one act in, in in high school, I think, before this. That was my directorial debut. I actually, oh my God, this is all coming back to me now. My freshman year of high school, I tried out for Guys and Dolls, and I got in. No, it wasn't Guys and Dolls. It was another shitty musical. I can't sing, so it didn't matter. But it was, an, it was a musical. And my church decided to put on like a play play. Like, like you sell tickets and people come at night. It's a full length. There's an intermission, all this stuff. And they yeah. wanted me to be in it. And so I'm like, okay shitty part in a musical where I can't sing or like lead part in a church play. And so I quit the musical and the director of the musical was like, I will never give you a lead part ever in for the rest of your time in this high school. If you quit this play and I quit anyway, and I ended up getting like a couple leads at some point, not through him, through the other director, but <laughs> anyway, so screw screw that guy. Church out there's, there's like, <laughs> there's like this, all this, like, material for stuff like those skits you know like we did christmas plays and Mm -hmm. you know sometimes extra plays and stuff at my school you know i went to a little christian school and they were always weird like they were (laughs) written from a christian perspective and it was always like a half-baked story that was really just meant to like do a big altar call like oh Oh, you're gonna go do this at the old folks home and then ask people if they want to get saved (laughs) <laughs> so they were just corny and dumb but we all did them everything at our school is like if everybody doesn't do this then we can't do it because there's only four of you yeah <laughs> did uh did you guys do vbs when you were younger oh yeah i didn't go to vbs i worked vbs when i was in high school okay uh, and so, so yeah yeah that's what i did too uh i well i did go to it when i was younger but uh when i was in high school i ended up they would they always had like the skits mm-hmm. they would do every morning. And I got sucked into those a couple of years. Yep. I, I want to yep. say sucked in. I think I want to say sucked in. I probably just signed up for it to do something. Um, mm-hmm. There was a level of, like, there was a level of discomfort for me with it. Cause I have no fucking desire to be on a stage in front of people uh, <laughs> acting in any way. Like that is, if anything confirmed that it was VBS skits in church, uh, maybe that's where some people get the bug. But like more I was comfortable like, with puppets. Yeah, 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 I, I exactly. Did, I did do a puppet ministry for a year or two. Uh, so whole ministry, wow. Yeah, that we had a puppet ministry. Uh, I remember our th- our theme one year was Veggie Tales, but we couldn't 
we couldn't do VeggieTales because it was copywritten. Yeah. And so it was, God, what did we call it? I don't remember. I bet all the names were so good because you had to have a cucumber and a tomato. Yeah, it was what maybe it was like candy tails. It was we were like candy tails, candy. I think it was candy tails, <laughs> but I'm not sure. Anyway, that's hilarious, man. What? Uh, how big of a like was purity culture? Was that a big theme within your youth group? Because it sounded like there was kind of an extreme element in some of that if they're having people burn their album cds and all that kind of stuff that was more the bigger things like we would because we would go to a lot of revivals and so we at the revivals with like thousands of kids that's when that stuff would happen ours was a little bit more like toned down uh i don't remember a lot of there was not a lot of like like oh god i'm trying to think i mean there was rumors like sex rumors and stuff going around but there wasn't i mean but the like the I guess what you would call bed hopping, but like the partner changing happened a lot. My first two girlfriends were from the youth group. Uh, and like, I think like the, my second girlfriend, her mom came to my house one day to start talking about our marriage oh without any, any other adults or my girlfriend there at the time. Like it was weird. Uh, and that's about when we broke <laughs> up. Um, and that was like the last religious girl that I ever met, I ever dated. But, uh, but yeah, there was like a lot of like partner swapping going on, but, um, that's, so it wasn't no, like a real those... heavy handed purity message though. I'm trying to, I don't like nobody wore purity rings that I remember. Um, I, so I, I went on a blind date with a girl, one, a very religious girl once from a different school and it was a miserable date. Like we both had a terrible time. And then <laughs> I got, like it was like the high school thing. Like she told me to tell you to tell this. Her friend <laughs> told told a friend of mine to come tell me that she was willing to turn her ring around for me. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? And apparently, it apparently means like like you wear a purity ring. Wait, is that a then, ring? Upside down. And then if you're in a relationship, you turn it right side up to to let men know you're dating somebody, but you're still pure. And so that it was really weird. Yeah. That's I've never heard like of that a, since. That's like a hybrid of purity ring. And like, you know, like the, I think it's Irish. Yeah. I like the clotter ring. Which I've never has heard like of that. Like, there's a clotter ring. It's got, it's like a heart. I think it's got maybe hands around or something like that. But like facing one way means you're single or whatever. Facing the other oh, way means okay. you're in a relationship. But it sounds like they're blending that with like purity culture. Be like, look, I'm in a relationship, but just so we're clear. I am a virgin because that is, <laughs> increases your dollar value when uh, when your father wants to sell you off. But like, oh, actually, not a friend of mine who was a friend of mine while in the youth group who I hadn't seen for a really long time. He lost his virginity at a youth a youth rally. Of like, we we all went to uh, uh, South not South Dakota. Where did we go? Sioux uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, for a huge rally. It's the biggest one they, uh, they've ever been to. And like, and like five iron, like played, like that was like the big deal. Like the, the, they got the really big acts like Reliant K played. Is that their name? Oh, dope. Yeah. Reliant K. Uh, like the big names came. It was a huge rally, but yeah, he told me later on that he lost his virginity at that one. That's hilarious. That's a and there's always job. those fun stories of like yeah. sneaking off and uh, taking care of business. And that, <laughs> it's great. No, the best part about it is at the end of the week, you can just, get saved for real that time and everything's mm-hmm. all good again. Well, you know, I, went, <laughs> I went to homecoming one homecoming. I went to, uh, I was, was with, uh, like with my youth group, uh, but I wasn't dating anybody. And it was the most fun I ever had. Cause there was no pressure. Like 
because every other one I went with a girlfriend. Like, what what does this mean? What's like all the the drama that's going on between everybody else? And when I went with with just a friend, and like it was it was I had an absolute blast because I just didn't care and we just had a wonderful time. Dude, I remember being the sad kid who um, was always. There's always a girl I liked who just didn't fucking care about me at all. So like, I just yeah, yeah. Oh, my youth. I, all of my youth events, I feel like were like bummers for like up through middle school and like early high school. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, I'll tell that it has nothing to do with Christianity, but uh, I was in the first, the first thing I was in as an actor in high school, I did like, like little things in junior high and like community theater in junior high, but in high school was actually the one X, like the seniors get, or seniors get to direct one X for the, like for the lower classmen, like later on, that's like their special thing. And so they get to do that. And then, but I was, so I was cast in one and I was in love with the girl that was, uh, that was like I played like a director or something and she was my assistant or something and like the biggest thing it was like asking her for a hug before our first performance was like can I get a hug like and she gave me a hug she's my wife now like that's how <laughs> it's ins- like she was my first huge crush and then we went like we didn't date in high school we went to senior prom together but mostly as friends and then like a lot of college she was in Georgia and I was in Chicago and then she came to Chicago for college and that's when we started dating but that like happens like that that long streak went by that uh that's awesome yeah so you went to your first year of school big culture shock really uncomfortable lots of anxiety bad relationship like right well at what point did you decide like i gotta i gotta make a change i'm not coming back here i'm trying okay so, oh well okay <laughs> uh the I, I literally had a pain that I kept going to the hospital for in my left side. Like I was crippled over in pain and they couldn't figure out what it was. And now I didn't get treated for my anxiety until like a decade ago. Like I really suffered for a long time being like, no, this is what artists are like. I'm just suffering. I'm supposed to suffer. I'm an artist. And then, uh, but like I, my, my best friend came to Southern for a semester and I'm like, finally, I'll have a friend here. It'll be, and like, my classes were just doing terribly. I hated the film program there. They were the kind of people who were like, you will never actually make a film. You will be a PA for the rest of your life. Like it was just like bitter people who worked on a movie once. And then now we're in Southern Illinois and are miserable. Like, oh, and, yeah. so I was, and my relationship with her, with the girl fell apart, which it should have. Uh, and so, yeah, I went home and I was just like, I can't, I don't even remember how it happened. I just, I was just like, I can't go back. Like, my dad and I had a huge blow up fight on Christmas day about it. And I went back with my best friend and picked up my stuff and left. And like, I kind of abandoned him there cause he didn't really want to be there either. He ended up coming back the semester after that. Um, but yeah, I was just miserable. I was just absolutely miserable. I think I needed to be in a city. And, and, and as soon as I got to Chicago, he came, my, my best friend from there came back. And then, like I said, I had like two really good friends. Like we were like inseparable. Uh, we all got an apartment together and we're going to like, and I went to college film school there. Uh, and then that all kind of collapsed again about two years later. And uh, as friendships do sometimes. So, yeah, that happens. It's funny. We, we've talked a few times about like the amount of times like you are like, these people are my, these are the people that I'm going to be friends with for the rest of my life. And then mm-hmm. especially college, right? You're like, it's such a transient time. Someone gets a job yeah. offer or they move somewhere. It, and there's you're so, so many friendships that I thought were going to last forever that yeah, we were so in involved in each other's lives and so like reliant codependent on one another that that 
is what it just imploded. Like it wasn't sure. like we were okay. good friends. It was just too close. And um, they, they were a little bit more in a, well, a lot, actually I stopped smoking weed. Oh God. My panic attack is <laughs> another story. My panic attack started at Southern when I was smoking weed and I'm like, Oh, that's weird. I mean, I must have some weird strain of weed because I'm having panic attacks from this, <laughs> uh, but it turned out to just be my exacerbating my anxiety. But so I stopped smoking weed and they kind of push drugs further. And I, and, and when you're living with people who do drugs, you're, you're like waking up to weird people in your house. It's just like, it's not great. And so I'm like, I got to move out. And, and kind of when I said I had to move out, it was, but I made amends with, with one of them, uh, uh, recently so i actually feel kind of good about that but. <laughs> so yeah. you did film school what um i mean i know like i'm, I'm interested in a little bit of what what you're doing now but um i guess even before we get to that because it's obviously that's a lot of years between film school and now um did you get into that industry at all uh did you get into i independently i did i uh so yeah i i wrote i, I was commissioned to i i Sorry, I'm kind of jumping all over the place. Um, I mostly found my my niche in screenwriting, so I, I really focus okay. on screenwriting. I love directing, and when I tell people now, like that, they say their kids want to go to film school or something. I say if they want to direct, they should go to theater school. If they want to write, they should become a they should go to creative writing school and take screenwriting classes. And yeah, like, and okay. If you want to be a cinematographer, go to film school. If you want to be an editor, go to film school. But in my opinion. If you want to direct or you want to write, you should really go outside of film school and then take film classes on the side. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, I, I but I I didn't want to go to the coast. I I, I have a problem <laughs> where I get bitter very fast. And I knew <laughs> that if I had to go play the game, I would hate what I loved. I would hate like what I was doing. Like I would hate film after a while because I, I just knew that, mm-hmm. that would it would eat at me because I uh, so many of my friends had gone gone to LA and, and were miserable. And, uh, and so I, I was working at a law firm at through college part-time. And when I graduated, I'm like, I don't really want to play the game. And I'm like, so I stayed, I became a paralegal and I started writing independently. Um, I was commissioned oh, wow. for a few like short and not short, but a few independent films and just kind of kept writing my own stuff. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, so now, uh, I guess kind of skip forward, but I'm, I mostly write for the website, the hard times, which is a satirical, yeah, uh, kind of punk rock website, which uh, and and their sister site, the Hard Drive. So, yeah, hey, we're a uh, big time fans. Yeah. Oh, great, great. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know how many times I've sent links back and forth with friends <laughs> and stuff like that. Just some of the best headlines ever. You know, that's my favorite. Is just just when people send it or like if I see one like that I wrote that two people who don't know that like that don't know I wrote it like send it to one another. It makes me so happy, but. Uh, but yeah, I really, I, there it's, it's perfect for me because it was very low stress. You pitch when you want to pitch, if it gets accepted, you write it, but you, you can stop pitching for a year if you want to. And, and that's perfect for my personality. Cause sometimes I, I'm just like, I, I need to step away for a little while. And, uh, and so, yeah. And then I wrote, uh, I wrote a humorous fantasy novel that got published and, uh, and, a, recently a short story of mine got published in a magazine called infinite worlds magazine. That's a, a sci-fi. It's like a new kind of sci-fi magazine that. Uh, it's kind of heavy metal themed as well. They're really, uh, really great magazine. That, interesting. That's interesting. You, um, so when, when did you first start writing for Hard Times? When did Hard Times even start? I feel like I've <laughs> been around for a while. Um, it, I, but I, because I mean, as far, I'm trying to think of 
it genuinely ex- exploded. Like it really was yeah. overnight. Uh, Matt and Bill are the two guys who started it, and okay. they uh, they started it, and literally within like two weeks or something, they had like hundreds of thousands of people following, like something like that. So I thought I got in like years after they started it, but it was only really a few months after they had. Uh, That's a friend crazy. of mine had sent me a, a one of the links, and I uh, uh, I work uh, at my day job, and I was like annoyed at that day at my day job as you can be. And I, and I saw the, the article the guy sent me, I'm like, screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to apply. And what you had to do was send them 10, 10 headlines. And if they liked any of them, uh, they would put you into a Facebook group and the Facebook group. And it's, it's actually really democratic. The Facebook group decides what articles go forward. Like, so if you pitch something like Reddit kind of for Facebook, it's exact. Well, we actually moved off of, we moved to Slack now, but, but it's very much like Reddit. So you would pitch a headline and the other writers got to decide. And like, if you ever, if you know anything about writers, they tend to like try and stab one another in the back. And this community was like, <laughs> no, we want this to succeed. We're going to support you because you will support me. And a lot of people couldn't, like a lot of people didn't, didn't work out that way. But, uh, but yeah, it was just perfect. And it's, it's been a wonder. I still write for them. I, I backed off a little bit because I'm trying to work on my next book. Um, so I kind of, I kind of backed off a little bit pitching for them, but I still have a few coming out. I feel like part of the reason why everybody loves the hard time so much is it seems like it's just really tuned into that, the era that we come from, you know, that yeah, yeah. 2006 going to a Christian metalcore show, <laughs> you know, and it's sort of aged along with it. Like one of my favorite headlines from there is like aging couple hopes band doesn't play encore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh my God, did they write this about us? Because definitely <laughs> felt that a number of times. Like, like I hope this is it. <laughs> yeah. It's, 10 p.m. I only have the babies there till 11. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely more, they care more about whether or not you know the culture than if you're a good writer. They'll work with you on being a writer. And that's, and they don't ask for a resume. They don't, do they even ask for your name? I don't even know. Well, at least. I forgot to when you submit the 10 headlines, uh, one of the editors will take their favorite one. If they like a couple of them, they'll put it to the group and say, do you like these? Should we add this guy or girl to the group? And so it is really the group deciding. And we don't like, we've had people come in who have never, like we've had 16 year olds who've never written anything in their life. And then we've had like 50 year olds and we've had guys who are in famous bands. I can't, whose names I can't remember right now, but like, uh, like it doesn't matter if it's funny, they'll they'll do it. It hasn't. There's no politicking involved. That's it's, really cool. Is that still yeah. their model? Where like if so if if anyone who's listening who yeah knows hard times loves that culture, if they wanted to, if is that something really anyone could just throw like I th- I think you now have whoop. to write an article. I think it's a little. Di- I think you have to go to like outvoice.com and you submit. I think it's five headlines. And then five like blog style headlines and maybe an article. I don't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure. part of that staff, but I think that's what it is now. But it's still pretty similar. Uh, yeah. And then, and then if they like what you're doing, you get added to a group. And then what, yeah, if, and they, if they publish an article, they, they yeah, get paid for the articles they publish. And as long as you can deal with failing a lot, you can do yeah. really well. Like, <laughs> like I, I, I I might not have it anymore. I used to have the most articles in the site than anybody else. I think because I backed off, I, I think some somebody else took over. But uh, but even I pitched so much that I I went by baseball rules. <laughs> so if 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 a, if a batter's doing 
three out of ten, if he can hit three out of ten times, he's doing really well. That's kind of how I looked at it. If three out of ten of my articles maybe not even get published, but are just enjoy like the writers think that they're doing good, I feel like I'm on the right track. That is yeah. such a genius model because it's and I guess that's just a general. Oh, like, it's Conan O'Brien's model. I should I should point out I totally stole it from Conan O'Brien. <laughs> it's it's funny because that that almost mirrors more of like uh it's more like comedy than it is like uh you know publishing and writing and stuff like that for mm-hmm. like a magazine or something because i mean the same thing goes in like the comedy world like somebody can know the structure of jokes and things like that but if you don't have if you if you don't have the concepts down you know and you're not pegging mm-hmm. your culture in a way that people relate to and stuff, then it doesn't matter. I mean, you can be great at writing the at writing the copy, but it's got to be something that strikes a chord with the people that are, yeah. that are watching. So you prioritize that over everything else. I mean, it. I don't know. It it makes so much sense. And it, there was such a vacuum, I think, that was needed for the hard times to fill in that space. That that like that culture just wasn't being represented by the Onion and stuff like that. And, and right. So, that's why it got so big so fast is because people were desperate for that kind of humor, especially aging punks that were like self-deprecating humor was, is kind of where you are in your thirties. Yeah. They, it's funny because every once in a while, I, the, the onion would hit on that every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And those ones I remember being like, <sighs> they get it. Like so right. whoever wrote this gets me, they know that world. And there's that, that feeling of, um, I don't know. It's like like a camaraderie sensible, like, that's a good feeling because it was always a fringe. It's not really super fringe anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a, you know, but when we were coming up and, and the heavy music scene was blowing up a bit, it, there was like, um, it was a bit of a fringe culture. And then of course, like you have ways to popularize it through like your hot topic, Spencer's get out. But as right. a whole, even with that, there was still, it, it still felt fringe enough. Um, and it felt like you you wouldn't get that kind of representation. But then mm-hmm. even getting older, like then you have obviously the onion. So when they would hit on it, you're like, you you knew whoever wrote it just grew up and was part of the same stuff that you were. And that yeah, just felt exactly. good. And it made it even funnier. Um, yeah. I, that's what was I, I. It's so funny that the hard times was like that no one had done that before because the amount of people who yeah. probably sat down was like we need like an onion for like this kind of shit it probably yeah. happened in every like dorm room for a decade and then finally yeah. someone did it and it and hit matt, hard. i mean matt spent a lot of money to get it off the ground so there there may have been other ones that that okay. just fail i i don't know but i mean he really believed in it and i and put his, his money behind it uh so that, that's another thing is he he believed in it enough because I think I, I God, there's there's a few of them out there that I've written for other outside of the hard times. And I'm like, what happened to you guys? Like, you guys just stopped posting articles. And like, oh, we ran out of time. We ran out of like the hosting and stuff like that. And it's like Matt just w- really put his entire life behind it. So are you familiar with the Babylon Bee? Oh, my God. Yes, I am. I, I can't believe we haven't talked about it on this on this podcast specifically. Do you do you know about writing for the Babylon Bee? No. I don't. You, I, I think the only rule is you have to like not get it and be shitty. But anyway, <laughs> you know something I don't. You, <laughs> you pay them to write for them. <laughs> oh, I, I believe it. You pay them ten dollars, and they will post whatever garbage you send them. 
Uh, it makes I, so much yeah. more sense now. Like, <laughs> as of as of last week, that that is what I because I, I thought they had stopped it once Trump retweeted them, and they're like, we're important now. But no, you you can still pay them ten bucks, and they'll put your article up. I think so. It's fun. that's incredible. Like, people have sent me stuff from Bab- from the Babylon Bee that I was like, huh, that's kind of funny. And that's about as far as they've gotten the rest of it, and like, yeah, it's it's become so obvious the slant that they have, you know, like I saw one not too long ago that somebody posted and it was like, I can't remember. It was something about mainstream media wants to make every day, January 6th so they can talk about it all the time. And I was like, reading Mm. this, you guys published this. Is that, you want (laughs) to joke about that? Is that what you want to make jokes about? Like, yeah, man. And that's the hard times will that will we're left leaning and we and and they they clearly hate cops. uh, But yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, they they will. They have some good ones. Publish back to back articles that completely contradict one another as long as it's funny. Yeah. I mean, we uh, I know like we I know I know we've made fun of how much Metallica sues people. But then we've also made jokes about how everybody says Metallica sues it, like how stupid it is to say Metallica sues everybody. Like it's an old joke now. Like, and so they, yeah, they yeah. as long as it's funny, they'll <laughs> they'll go with it. I remember when Babylon Beast first hit, it that slant was less apparent. Okay, I could be wrong. I and anyone out there that wants to tell me I'm wrong, great. I'll just believe you're right because <laughs> I might have not been far enough out of that world for me to have recognized the slant. Um, but I think I was, but I feel like when they first came out, it was like, cause you know, that was a conversation that, uh, I, you know, friends and I had had, and we had thrown headlines back and forth with each other. Like, what about like an onion, but for this people who grew up in this Christian shit, um, which is probably, I, I got the same vibe. Like these, like, these are the, these are liberal Christians. I thought at first. Yeah. Uh, and then it, it, it swung. And yeah, it, was like, it really did. We didn't actually start like me and some friends. We, you know, we start writing some articles like, let's do this for us. This is fun. Um, making each other laugh. And then around that time, you know, Babylon B comes out and you're like, oh, that's cool. Like maybe they're going to do something great. And I was like, actually really excited for it. And then a f- you share a few articles like that's pretty funny. It was mm-hmm. more particular to Christian culture. And then it was just like, OK, this is like Fox News culture now. This is Yeah, pretty, pretty right. Dumb. Yeah, it's I I don't know. It's weird how there's like this line with comedy where everybody eventually seems to start feeling like self-important enough to start just like injecting their viewpoints into things. And like, you know, everybody does that anyways. But like it's it, it always seems to reach a point where like your viewpoint seems to be more important than making people laugh. Yeah. Now, like, we're starting to get sick of your content and stuff. I mean, I feel like Saturday Night Live has kind of done that to some extent. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it it just gets to the point where you're like, okay, we get it. Can can this be a break? Can we just, like, can can we enjoy this thing without all of that? (laughs) It's like going to the, you know, the youth group street or uh, plays Lord of the Rings. And then afterwards we have to have an hour discussion on like the spiritual themes. I just want to like the movie. Can you just leave it alone? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I have a a question for you, Dan. Um, How often would you write 
like if you you write something you're like this this content is good this is absolutely going to get published it's hilarious and then it doesn't versus like oh you have an idea and you're like ah this might be funny a bit of a throwaway for you and you write the whole thing out oh so many yeah (laughs) so many like there 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 are a few where i'm like i'm ashamed like to make this pun or like this is such an obvious joke but i know it's gonna kill and uh but i do it anyway and then there there are a lot of them like i am shocked that the other people in this in the group are not like are not clicking with this as much as I am. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it happens quite often actually. And there, there've been a few times, not, not many, like one or two where I will like, it won't get a lot of likes and I'll fight for it. And I think I've only won once. I think there was only one time where I'm like, no, trust me, this is, this will be good. And, uh, and for like the, for, cause for a while I was actually in charge of the metal content. So any pitches that were sort of, cause they didn't know a lot about metal and I'm actually more of a metal head than I am a punk. So they and there were like people were pitching medical article or metal medical metal <laughs> articles and uh the editors would be like i don't i don't get this joke who is this band and then and then we would have to like explain it and they're like do you want to be the one to kind of filter these and see which ones are worth it and so for a while i, I did do their metal content uh which was oh, kind of cool. neat so and then that's, that's, always- that's the other thing is they don't find something funny but the uh, the rest of the group will like they will be like why is this funny and even if they still don't really believe in it, they they might still go forward with it because so many people are like, no, trust me, this is this will do really well. So like yeah, when your parents were culture. like, like when your parents kind of like, you know, were like, why are you spending all this time memorizing the cord corn discography? Like you got to prove them wrong <laughs> eventually, right? Eventually, yeah, that's right. All the times <laughs> that they were like, I can't believe these Cannibal Corpse albums are in my house. This shit's disgusting. <laughs> well, now that you is, uh, can make that a is one the thing. <laughs> I was never, I never got in trouble for anything I listened to or anything I watched uh, from my dad. He didn't. There was really, there's literally one day we went to church and they, instead of, instead of a sermon, they played a video about, about like, I remember Jane's addiction was one of the ones about how, like, how awful this music is, how it's, how it's rotting your children from the, and my dad got up and walked out. He's like, this is the stupidest <laughs> thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, that I'll, I'll give like like I said it, it, he's a he's he leans right but he um he 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 really thinks about the things that he decides to believe uh so I, I'll give him that I like your old man he seems cool <laughs> he's very monkish he he me and my brothers joke that we're going that when he dies he will be in a room on a cot with a Bible on his chest and a giant smile on his face like he doesn't care about material things. He doesn't like, he just <laughs> exists. And like, like we lit, like we didn't live in like a huge house or anything like, like that. But like my dad, like, cause my people, my people are like, Oh, your dad's a doctor. He must be rich and goes golfing all the time. I'm like, no, he gives all his money away and reads Kierkegaard. Like it's, it's a really weird situation, uh. like that situation, but it's, it's not the typical sort of thing that you would think about. That's cool, man. He seems like a neat guy. He seems like there's a lot like it, like and that's, it's, it, as you keep talking about him, it makes more sense that like you actually have conversations with him despite disagreements. Um, yeah. There's a lot of people who grew up the way we did. Don't have that luxury. Uh, usually they turn to like knock down drag out arguments, maybe a bit of a blowout. Like I'm sure that's happened before, but right. maybe, maybe not. But, um, 
But also, it, he didn't like Trump, and he got his vaccine. So, th- I mean, I don't know what would have happened if he had uh, if he had gone off the deep end. So, <laughs> that, perfect. That's all. Uh, even better, man. It's nice <laughs> to hear that there's those, those people are still holding strong. Right leaders <laughs> that could still go. Look, I mean, he's a doctor, right? If he wasn't, uh, well, there's some of those right vaccines. I think he's had nursing staff that has have been adamant about not getting That's, the vaccine. So more a little bit. I, you know, I had a physical, not that anyone gives a fuck, but congratulations. Yeah, How are you doing? Good. It was nice. Nice. Uh, and, <laughs> but I remember thinking when I walked in there, I'm like, the first question I should ask is whether or not this, this person got the vaccine. Like uh, I just met with a nurse. Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. look, if you didn't fine, I mean, not fine, but fine. <laughs> I, but I don't trust you. Like, as a right, as yeah. someone who's part of the medical community, I will have, like, if I need a lawyer and the lawyer didn't get the vaccine, I think that's weird. <laughs> but if you're really still good at law, I don't, I don't fucking care right. if like my thirty, if I have thirty years on the line. But when you have to like do my medical procedures and you decide to distrust the entire scientific community, I'm like, well, maybe I don't want you even drawing my blood. Maybe you should go do something. Right. Else. <laughs> anyway, we didn't have to go down that road, but that's fine. <laughs> so as a so as a metalhead writing for a music uh, website and stuff, what uh, I'm always curious, like, what's some of? Do you have some bands that are like guilty pleasures that you know in your heart in your heart of hearts, to quote a Christian uh, expression? <laughs> they're like, this isn't good. But I love it. Oh, I'm trying. Yeah, I, I don't like to believe in, in guilty pleasures. I like to just enjoy because I like all like I call myself a metalhead just because I like metal and a lot of people don't. And I, I like know more about it. Uh, but yeah, I like I'm trying to I'm of course, I'm blanking now on names and stuff like that. But I, I love know. like 70s singer songwriters like like Donovan and uh uh harry nilsson and cat uh, stevens is one of my like my favorite i don't know if these are guilty pleasures or not but they're not punk or metal so i i just uh i still listen to five iron frenzy i mean i still listen to the aquabats all the time like aquabats yeah so yeah i guess I just, saying it's bad is probably not the right way it's yeah. like what what is a like a controversial <laughs> like if you say you really like you know uh, okay so I, I if you still said I like Attack Attack. I think <laughs> I don't know if anyone remembers Attack Attack from like a decade ago, but that was the name sounds terrible. Terrible. I don't know if I ever listened to them. It was uh, bad. The, I'll say I had to really try hard. I made a conscious decision to stop listening to Slayer and Pantera because of the racial issues. But it was oh, really hard. Like, and I don't. So this is a little different because they're not bad bands. They're actually fucking amazing bands. And I, and so it was really hard for him, but I had to make the conscious choice. Like they doubled down, like, uh, uh, Tom Aria, it went really right wing and, and like, uh, whatever his name is from Pantera shouting white power. Like it's not a show. Yeah. And so I, I had like, and I love their music and I had to be like, no, I can't, I can't, even if I'm not paying for it anymore, I can't listen to these bands anymore. Like, so it's like watching the Cosby show. No. Yeah, I keep hoping that Sam will swear off Seether, but here we are. <laughs> I, I only just swore off Megadeth, so he's a little headstrong when it comes to Seether. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, you should I, should, I, should, I should call it a night. <laughs> 
the one thing I thought was hysterical was that Sebastian Bach from Skid Row is like crazy liberal now. Like, and most of the hair metal guys went hard right. I find if you if you were really successful and then you could like you completely drop off, you tend to go real right and blame everybody <laughs> else for why you're why you suck now. It's not the fact that your time is over and you need to move on and grow up. It's no, it's it's the Mexicans for some reason stole your <laughs> are the reason you make true. shitty music now. But oh Sebastian goodness. Bach from Skid Row is really left now. Actually, uh, uh, the guy, a guy from DC Talk, um, is really liberal now. Like, oh, you don't say. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Kevin Max. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is this? Is, did you guys already know this? Is this? Uh, I've, I've, um. It, we're we're tr- we're trying to get him on. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he just followed a friend of mine on Twitter. Like, it, literally, he sent me the like, like Kevin Max followed you, like screenshot. He's like, I have no one else to send this to that will understand how important this is to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like Fan in his face and screaming. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a um, you maybe this is where I actually found your podcast, but there's a Facebook group about Christian music, like um. Like Christian music from the '90s, specifically that he, Kevin Max is like a member of and will post in. Oh, um, something to do with the striper, the son of little striper. post striper, like like DC Talk, Reliant K, Five Iron, that kind of thing. But it's it's more for your your crowd of uh, of kind of people who are who are left either left the church or or are, are leftists within the church. Uh, yeah, yeah, a nostalgia group for that. I wish I could remember the name of it, but uh, if you uh, look I mean, up Chris. Yeah. 90s Christian music Facebook group. I'm sure you'll find it. <laughs> yeah, so, it is Dan, funny. That's like the entire, like the hair metal guy thing you're talking about. It, that's like the entire character arc for the main character from uh, Cobra Kai. <laughs> oh, I haven't watched it. I got to watch that. It's so good. It's I know, like, but I <laughs> there's just too much right now. Too much to watch right now. I saw him the other day. He was at uh, Planet Comic Con. Oh. I waved, but he... A lot of people. He was like, at I. Uh, I went to one in Savannah of all places to sell my book, and he was there, and it was dead. Like they had they had scheduled the worst weekend. Like there were, like the Pride Parade was that weekend. There was a graduation that weekend, so nobody came to this con, and like him, and like the Green Ranger was there, and Ernie Hudson, and everybody Tommy? was just kind of. No, he was the white. Wait, who was? Maybe the, it was the Blue Ranger. The Green Ranger is at all of them. He's he's like on. No, the it was the, it was the Blue Ranger. It was the because he was breakdancing like on the floor because it was it was there's nobody there, and so everybody was just kind of wandering around and it was it was a very surreal con. But uh, did you guys have on somebody from Tooth and Nail the other day? I in one of your episodes or talk about Tooth and Nail records? I don't remember. Yeah, um, uh, Scott. Okay, okay. Scott that was just on. That's a uh, actor and screenwriter. That's right. And stuff. He he oh, was on yeah, in the Dingies. Yeah, because they, uh, I went to one of the youth revivals we went to. It was, it was the weirdest thing. We all, like, you had to go to like panels. And so you would go to different types of pan, like, uh, like break, breakaway groups or whatever. And I went into one that was about music and they had us all line up by a microphone and we would walk up to the microphone and say what secular bands we liked. And then, yeah. and, and it, it dawned on me when I was having this memory the person at the table would tell you what band, what Christian band you should be listening to instead. I love it. I love and I just it. totally realized it was from Tooth and Nail and they were recommending Tooth and Nail bands. It was the greatest like scheme. I've like, it was brilliant for you to be like, no, go buy this album that we produced. Like it was, it was absolutely brilliant. Now that I think about it, 20 That's, years, God, 30 I, years later. Ministry, bro. 
<laughs> I remember being told about the. I remember when someone in when I was in middle school told me about a website you could go to to find. You would say you would look up the band you liked, and then they'd give you a Christian band. So it's like, oh, you like Eminem? How about KJ Five Two? Oh, perfect! Now I can listen to this guilt free. There were, there were because t- I, I went up. I loved Primus. I was obsessed with Primus when I was a teenager. And so I said, I like Primus. And there were two bands that he said, and I still listen. I go back and listen to their albums like occasionally. One was called Don't Know. And they have a song about Taco Bell. And, and when I go get Taco Bell, I'll still be like, they was it like, yes. you used to be able to, be able to get Taco Bell for a taco was 69 cents. I don't know. It was 69, 79, 99. And that was their song. It was 69, 79, 99, 69, 70. And I still sing it when I go to Taco Bell. And another <laughs> band was called Blenderhead. And they are still... The, I still go back to the album. Like this is a great album. I have no idea if it's Christian or not. Probably not, but uh, it, it's on Spotify and it's called Blenderhead and it's a great like industrial punk album. It's crazy. That's so funny. Cradle of Filth. What you got? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got any behemoth? One one kid did ICP and I think they told him to listen to POD. Uh, I remember not, that one specifically. That's never going to be a wrong recommendation. POD opened for Five Iron Frenzy, and uh, the guy I was like with at the, this Five Iron Frenzy show is like, this band is going to be huge. And for Christian Rock, pro- he's probably right. I will say he is right. Like POD got about as big as you can for a Christian band. Yeah, and they're if like, you, what the, if, you, if you, you played you a WrestleMania, you 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 made it okay. Dang, that's crazy. Someone says ICP, they're like, shit. What's another band with just three letters in their name? Yeah, <laughs> Well, we were on the Resident Evil 3 soundtrack, okay? <laughs> Pinnacle of success. I mean, Boom. Boom made it on MTV. Well, even the now, ping pong battle. Dude, I saw the POD Cribs episode, and it was hysterical because they, they, were, they went from, like, a mansion to POD, who all the guys lived in the same house in, like, South Central LA or something like that, and they were, like, grilling chicken in their tiny little house. It was was the most real episode of Cribs that you could ever watch. It was like their vibe for sure. Yeah. It's funny to like listen to, do you know who, uh, do you know the punk rock NBA on YouTube? No. It's a great channel. It's like all, it's music related stuff. Guy that hosts it's really great. But uh, he always talks about like when he's comparing and contrasting bands and success and things like that, he'll always like show like the difference in, like monthly listeners on Spotify and things. And oh, okay. It's crazy when you start looking at some of those numbers, it's crazy what some of those bands are still getting. Like, I'm sure Evanescence has put out a lot of songs over the years, but they got like two that anyone knows. And they <laughs> have so many monthly listeners. It's nuts. Like, they, they wrote their entire life check off of uh, Bring Me to Life and like Tourniquet or something. <laughs> that's so funny dude Dave, are you is you are you like so you're full-time writer i mean you i mean so you've no, written no. books okay i i have a day job i actually work for cnn i work in cnn's legal department so uh, oh. that's a whole another part of my life but yeah so I, you did the whole paralegal thing and you stuck with the legal aspect of it too i i would not if it wasn't for where i am right now i probably still wouldn't i wouldn't be in the legal field i got as lucky as i could because i hate like I, I actually did litigation, uh, was a litigation paralegal for a while, which is where like like court stuff and and mm-hmm. the stress of it is, especially for somebody with anxiety, is is just like I I literally had a nervous breakdown and and had to quit the job because it was so 
I, all I could think about is like one small move and I ruined somebody's life. And yeah, that's so much stress. Um, and so I, yeah, so I left and then I actually worked for a while in adoption law, which was probably the most rewarding like job mm -hmm. I ever, I ever had. And then, uh, I got laid off from there when their office kind of reorganized and then I went to CNN and I, it's actually kind of neat. Uh, I, it's, I'm just an executive assistant in the legal department, uh, but uh, it's it's really actually pretty fulfilling for a, for a day job. Yeah, and then you just get all your writing in on the side, which I assume is where you get a lot of your fulfillment. Yeah, I, I, I the quarantine just killed me. I don't know if it did for you guys creatively as well, but man, I'm not I creative. Have, I have so been uninspired. Didn't do shit to me, but this I podcast is creative. Me. You can't say you're not creative. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> I think all I've done is make stuff since the pandemic, but I never quit working <laughs> either. So yeah, I mine's like, the pandemic as well. I'm like, oh, I fixed a hole in some drywall. I guess it's not really, <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> and you put it there when you were really angry. So I mean, it was your responsibility. <laughs> I, I totally Kyle it. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I'm a slow writer. I don't, I don't produce a lot and I don't, even my stuff is kind of short and, uh, I always live by, I, I heard, I don't even know if it's a true anecdote or not, but like Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen, who are two of my, like my favorite kind of artists, uh, singer songwriters. And, uh, we're talking and Bob Dylan's like, oh, I wrote subterranean homesick blues in like 15 minutes. And, uh, Leonard Cohen's like, it took me three years to write hallelujah. Like both great songs probably considered like equal and one just took longer to write. And then that, that really helped my my imposter syndrome to know that, that mm. it's okay to take a long time to create something. That's a great point. I think a lot of, I mean, it's, I think a lot of people feel that way when it comes to like how much time it takes to mm -hmm. create. I'm sure writers block. I mean, not that I'm not a writer. I'm not, I don't create in that way. So I'm like, I'm sure that's a real thing. And I, I, I can't imagine the frustration that comes in just like waiting for that next idea, writing something right. saying that's trash to lead to lead. And you're working on something for a while before it comes together. But, that's the case for a lot of people. Yeah. I and think hearing is, those stories is encouraging for people who are creative and trying to find their way in that world. One of the great things about hard times also is a lot of, um, like, have you ever heard of McSweeney's? The, they're sad. They're kind of like a, a highbrow satire site, uh, like under New Yorker, but above the hard times, but they do a okay. lot of like a lot of highbrow stuff. But, uh, but if you want to pitch them, you write the full article. So you, you, you spend your time writing it and send it to them and they reject it. And like, what are you going to do with like, uh, like, uh, Thomas Pynchon orders Wendy's like that's, that's the kind of articles that they do. And like, what am I going to do with that now that I, and so the best <laughs> thing about hard times is you pitch the, the headline, then you write, if it's accepted and they're going to publish it, then you write it. And that has been great that I, the, the pressure is, is just on the headline and the yeah. headline dies, you wasted 15 words. I mean, it's but that's not so a bad. smart idea because a lot of people, a lot of people read the headlines and laugh their ass off. And then you might read the article. You're like, Oh, did you read it? And they're like, Oh no, I just read the headline. Yeah. Like there are plenty of people who do just read the headlines and yeah. uh, I don't know if that's producing money for them when people just, but if you <laughs> that's the problem that I think they, they ran into is people weren't uh, uh, Facebook was like burying our posts because but maybe because we were making Facebook's too much money. Trash. No, Facebook's, yeah, Facebook's trash. No, Facebook's trash. And, <laughs> and, uh, and Instagram, you can, you can't link to the article. So you only see the headlines. So people aren't going that way. So they're trying to find innovative ways to get people to the website. I think. Sure. Yeah. Social okay. media stuff is so tough. Cause like that's yeah. my wife's a social media personality and stuff. Oh, really? 
Yeah, and it's like it could be the greatest tool ever for small businesses and creators yeah. and things like that. But they were just like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna choke you for 10 bucks. Yeah. And make it impossible for you to use this possibly great tool, you know. Buy a ten dollar ad that we're gonna show to people in Bangladesh who have no interest in your product and then yeah it's it's awful absolutely but guaranteed then, you'll see your dad's QAnon post don't worry about it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that was the thing with with my book because i i actually self-published and so i had to i had to promote myself and and also the podcast uh, that i did and it's hell like i i would pay somebody to do that for me if i knew that they would that they know how to do mm -hmm. these tricks because yeah, it, it's just been hell, like trying to get that. Um, and like, so. Yeah, yeah. So what's all that? So you, I mean, you have your podcast, you have a book. Go ahead and, um, why don't you go ahead and plug all your stuff, man? Sure. <laughs> it's, uh, sounds like you sure. got a lot going on. That's cool. My book is called Lingeria, book one of one. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. It's spelled L-I-N-G-E-R-I-A. Uh, and if you, if you type in lingeria book, uh, if you type in lingeria, you'll get lingerie ads. So I would recommend book. <laughs> I'm going to uh, see what lingerie ads. And then you want to search for your book after. If you search, even, even when you search lingeria book, it'll still be like, like bra book panties. Like it'll still <laughs> give you that. So, uh, and then my podcast is called the extra mundane with Max Ward. And it is a. Uh, sort of like WTF podcast, but I play a character called Max Ward and he interviews creatures from the paranormal. So I have on Bigfoot and aliens and things and I, I dive fun, deep man. into their psyche and I have improv comedians come on to uh, to do the, the interviewee portion of it. So we have the second season. We're gearing up to start the second season soon. Uh, and you can find me at, at Dan Kozu, K-O-Z-U-H on, on social media. That's uh, That podcast sounds like a lot of fun, man. Yeah, that's really a great fun. concept. That's like very unique, Thanks. you know, like there's a lot, of, you know, podcasting is one of those things that like there's a million of the same kinds of, I mean, there's a million of what we're yeah. doing, that's fine too. Uh, but that is an idea that is fresh, man. I, I don't, I, I don't think it. there's dozens but of those. You ones guys can see I'm surrounded by DVDs. Like I, sh like I wanted to do a movie podcast, but there's so many movie podcasts that I just couldn't think of one. And then I came up with this idea and I'm, I'm not a performer. I actually haven't acted since like improv in college, but I'm like, I liked the idea so much that I'm like, I have, I have to be the main character. Like I couldn't just be the producer on that one. So I'm getting my improv chops kind of dusted off, but uh, there's a, a great, I, I should plug them. There's a great improv uh, community in Atlanta called dad's garage. And okay. uh, if you, if you watch Archer uh, at all, uh, Krieger is a member of dad's garage. And so is Pam. Uh, she's also a member and so they, I mean, they do amazing improv and they have been so nice in giving like their members coming to be on my podcast and really just supporting me as the straight man and just being goofy, wild, wonderful people. That's awesome. Well, man, it's been great to meet you, Dan. Thanks a lot for likewise, uh, likewise. coming on. Yeah, this is a lot of fun, I, especially getting to talk to someone who writes for the headlines that we've been reading for what? I mean years Seven, eight years yeah i mean <laughs> thank you guys so much i'm sorry we we veered off a lot of which i guess is kind of how podcasts work but uh oh yeah that's how we like to do it <laughs> you establish the baseline you take it wherever it goes and, yeah you know. yeah all right well uh if you want to check out dan's stuff there we'll include links to his website and his book in the uh in the episode description as always thanks for listening and we will catch you
you next time.